Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. forward to the podcast today. And for those of you that are listening, it's kind of, I don't know, bittersweet for me and many people. And I'll tell you why in a moment. But today we have on Zan Parker, who is the producer of a great documentary directed by Ron Howard called Rebuilding Paradise. And also a conversation with one of the victims of that fire, Michelle John. And it's bittersweet. Yeah, I mean, you hear from Zan, you know, um, the difficulty in, in filming such a tragedy. And I'll share with everyone, there was many lives, over 80 lives lost in the Paradise Fire, uh, the horror that they went through. And to hear Michelle, John, and these communities and women like her, how they get through their tragedies and the uprising and moving on is so inspirational. So I hope everyone um, enjoys today's podcast. And and for me, it's kind of frustrating um, in my intro today because I am back in Northern California just two years after the horrific Paradise Fires, dealing with communities in Shasta County where once again, Pacific Gas and Electric ignited a firestorm. Four people lost their lives there. Working again after such a short time of what we went through in paradise, what did we learn? And how is it that we can begin to look at climate change, work as a government, and work as communities collectively to thwart these types of fires? Because just burning down communities and losing lives and then facing another lawsuit just cannot be the solution. And I just got back late last night from being up in Shasta County where PG&E started what is called the Zog Fire. And I think the thing that makes me proud to even say today is to see another community like Paradise and other moms like Michelle John who will fight their way through such tragedies and find their courage and get together with their community and rebuild. Isn't that amazing about we, the people, our strength, our courage, and our ability to rebuild. Be sure to watch Rebuilding Paradise. It's a great documentary. Broadcast premiere is this Sunday, November 8th on Nat Geo Channel, 9-8 Central Time. So once again, Rebuilding Paradise. It's a great documentary. I hope you watch it. Its broadcast premiere is this Sunday, November 8th on the Nat Geo channel. Times are 9, 8 central. I hope you tune in. I hope you enjoy listening today with Zan Parker and Michelle John on Rebuilding Paradise. On November 8th, 2018, a single spark from a utility pole lit a fire that would engulf the city of Paradise, California. 
it would be the largest wildfire in California history, and it would leave 85 people dead. This one hit close to home, not only because it involved my old nemesis, PG&E, but also because as a resident of California, I lived the constant battle between its nature's splendor and natural marvels and our modern life. The people of Paradise rallied. The community came together and rebuilt Paradise. This story is told in the upcoming film, Rebuilding Paradise, directed by Ron Howard and produced in part by renowned documentarian Zan Parker, is available now via streaming from National Geographic. With me today, and I am so thrilled, is Zan Parker and current superintendent of the Paradise Unified School District, Michelle John. It is my honor to be with Michelle in the days and weeks following the tragedy and the time Michelle was the principal of the Paradise Elementary School. And she seemed to be holding her town together with her two hands. She's an amazing woman. So it is my honor to welcome both Zan and Michelle to Superman's Not Coming. Hi, guys. Hi, thanks for having us. Hi, Erin. Thank you. Uh, You know, I don't know where or who to start with because truly both of you are so unbelievably incredible. And I have seen the documentary and my palms sweat. And as you go through it, you can almost feel what the community has been through. You can feel Michelle and and rising and for the children and all of this, I can't wait to talk with you about, but rebuilding paradise for the tragedy it was, is a beautiful story of Michelle coming together, the community coming together. And I, I can't imagine what you've been through, how proud though you must be and what an incredible story and documentary. And so I'm going to start with Michelle. And can you tell us and people listening where you were and how the story became your own? I actually, on the morning of the fire, I was at a national superintendent's conference in San Diego. And the night before, the assistant superintendent, Tom Taylor, myself, and the school board president we're on a conference call because PG&E was talking about turning off the electricity and they wanted to know if I thought we should cancel school. And my response was, well, they've never done it before. They've talked about it. I know I don't want to cancel school if, if they're just going to talk about it and lose a school day, um, which in hindsight was a fabulous decision because if we would have canceled school, we would have had hundreds of kids in bed asleep and probably parents already gone down the hill to work. So mm-hmm. it would have been um, just beyond comprehension. So about 6.30 that morning, I'm up getting ready to go downstairs and um, I get a phone call from the assistant superintendent who told me there is a fire in Polga, but no big deal. It was way over there. He just wanted to let me know. And I said, okay, keep me informed. And that was about 6.30. So about 7 o'clock, I 
I go downstairs and I call my husband and I said, Hey, I guess there's a fire in Polga. And he said, well, I'm in Orville. He was the planning commissioner. He goes, I'm over in Orville planning commission. I said, well, just take a look behind you. This was, this was about seven in the morning and he looked behind him and he, and this was 20 miles away. And he said, I'm going home. Mm. And I said, okay, let me know. So I then tried to call my assistant superintendent back and I could not get a hold of him. So this is all. So about seven thirty in the morning, I called directly to the fire chief, David Hawks. And I said, David, what's going on up in paradise or Polga? What's going Do I need to cancel school? And he, he gave me one word. He said, now. Mm. Well, by that time at seven thirty in the morning, I can't get a hold of anyone, and it's starting to hit national news. And so I called my son, who lives in San Diego, and said, "Do whatever strings you need to do. I need a plane now." So I was on a plane by eight eight thirty, probably eight thirty in the morning, and flying over there at nine nine thirty, it was black. The entire North State. I landed in Sacramento probably 9.30 because I was back up at the fairgrounds by 11 a.m. And I, it was black. And no one had come off the hill yet. Oh. So none of my teachers, I, communication was done. And none of my teachers or anything. So then the buses started coming down. And I would get on every bus at the fairground. And the bus driver would just burst into tears. And I'm like, oh, dear God. And so I finally got a hold of my husband. I said, where are you? And he said, I'm driving by Ridgeview, which is our continuation high school. It's on fire, both sides. Uh, I'm going to get your mother. Silly me go, well, what about the dog? And he goes, let me get your mother and let me get the dog. <laughs> I kind of hesitated for a moment. <laughs> and so then we had security cameras and I turned on my security camera. It actually blanked out a little bit after that because of the fire and saw the whole backyard on fire and, and luckily saw our neighbor kick in the front door and grab the dog, but fire was all around him. And so then from then on the entire day was just trying to locate, get people off the hill with no communication um, with fire ranging. And so then they, took us all, well, we all then drove over to a church where they were taking the kids. We had to move from the incident command center. And it was about two in the morning when the last child got picked up. But by that point, we still didn't know where people were. We knew that uh, teachers had texted their husbands saying goodbye because they were caught in burning schools. And, but it took us probably about a week to find everybody. We immediately went into triage mode and, um, I, during that time, a little side note, because we have plans on how to evacuate. I got two, two different cell phone calls went through. One was from a brand new uh, principal who said, they're telling me to put kids in cars with no seatbelt kids. I don't know. You know, what do I do? Because that's against everything we've ever known. And mm-hmm. I said, dear God, put him in cars. I don't care who the people are. I don't care. No seatbelt. And then another principal texted me twice and said, okay, heading to evacuation zone A. Okay, it's on fire. Heading to evacuation zone B. Okay, it's on fire. Last one was getting the hell off the ridge. So that was, in short, what that morning was like. And it took us about a week to find people. We, at this point, 
there was one custodian that we did not find for almost three weeks and it was harrowing. We just went into triage mode and I think the, the adrenaline just goes so much that you, you have to start responding. You know, listening to you, I feel like I did in the documentary, honestly chills, the palms sweating. Uh, we were watching and you obviously could see this disaster unfolding. I, I couldn't believe the plume that we were looking at from television. And I was down in Southern California and my heart palpitating for what is happening in the midst of this disaster with the community and your wherewithal. And you're right about that adrenaline. You just kicked into gear and stayed focused on that. Yeah. I don't even think I cried for at least a day or two. The next morning we ended up at our um, Paradise Unified's attorney's house in Chico, the two assistant soups and myself. And uh, I don't think any of us had slept. And even at that point we said, okay, what do we do? And we just started making our list on how to find people. And, you know, let's, let's get a hold of this person. Then we just started to triage phone tree. You don't realize how much you depend on communication until you don't have any. Mm -hmm. That, that is, that is so apparent and especially uh, in a fire right? um, as power lines are going down and I'm sure cell phones are dropping in and out. And I just, I honestly feel like that pit of that anxiety, the fear, um, how intense that must have been for all of you in in paradise. It was was physically, we, I mean, we were all physically ill. You just, it's so beyond it went we're all helpers and there was nothing to do we could not help and it's that fear of not being able to help anyone or do anything at that moment oh i i i can't imagine that and um, and the, the fear and the angst for families and separation and someone's on the hill someone's not it must be extraordinarily overwhelming that you just held crying kids all night. That's that's all you. Oh can do. my gosh! You know, um, uh, Zan, I I want I want to bring you in here. I mean, um, this documentary, um, Rebuilding Paradise, is it, it's just it's beautiful out of a tragedy. I, I want to ask uh, what like you were thinking and why this tragedy is something that you deeply felt needed to be told. Well, it was actually Ron Howard who had the idea originally. Um, he and his colleague, Louisa Vellis, at, um, she's at Imagine Entertainment, were reading about the fire and watching it on television. And, you know, he has a lot of relatives in Reading and had been following the car fire. And actually, and his mother-in-law had lived in Paradise for a few years at the end of her life. So he'd been to Paradise. And when he, after following the car fire and then hearing about the campfire, he and Louisa decided that this would be something they wanted to tell a story about at Imagine. And Ron had just started his documentary division with Justin Wilkes and Sarah Bernstein. And so they all got together and decided, let's do this. And they did pick sort of the hardest way you can make a film possible, which is making a a direct cinema or cinema verite film where you follow life as it happens instead of Mm -hmm. something around a thesis. Uh, We knew that a lot was going to happen. And that's, you know, when Ron called me up, I said, yeah, there's going to be no shortage of story here. Um, But the minute that we got there, what we hoped for um, was that there was no shortage of character. And by character, I don't mean characters in a movie, but 
character in terms of the strengths of the people that mm-hmm. are there. And that was what made the movie. Absolutely. This community and these people, um, are, they have truly risen from the ashes. Um, and I'm so glad that you're doing this documentary and sharing it. So, so because oftentimes we get left with just the tragedy and we don't see the process to rebuild. We don't see the process of Michelle and caring for those, the, the, the focus of these kids and the importance of, of them being together. You were able to capture that. And I think it's really important for us to see that and know that they did rise and how they've come through amidst the tragedy is always their story that um, you find the strongest of characters and the most inspirational of people in a tragedy like this. Yeah. I mean, you know it well, Aaron, because you, because of all the work that you've done in advocacy and in fighting PG&E and for us, it was the, hurdles and obstacles that crop up. It seems like every day there was something new that the people of Paradise and of their neighboring towns, Concow and Megalia, were tackling. And I never could have predicted it. You've seen it in a few, a few other times, but at this, the scope of it was staggering. Oh, it, indeed. Uh, again, I, I don't know why I feel like I need to keep saying this, but I opt, I'm so visual and then I have to express that that visualness i mean the conversation even now makes my palms sweat and my stomach turn i can't imagine for the communities revisiting it but they are there how they're dealing with it and you did a beautiful job how did you feel zan when you were first there i'll be honest when i first drove up the hill i cried and i thought why did why did I let Ron Howard drag me into this? <laughs> it's good this? to be honest here. <laughs> it's going to be so hard. Um, but within a few days of being there, um, the other uh, producer who was, you know, really d- doing the practical filmmaking with me, Liz Morheim and I met people like Michelle and her husband, Phil John, and people like David Hawks, you know, one of the fire chiefs in the county who she mm-hmm. mentioned. Um, people like the, you know, the police um, the many wonderful cops who are there, mm-hmm. the firemen, mm-hmm. and just the regular families who are trying to figure out where they're going to live. And honestly, everybody just was so down to earth and such, I don't know, I, we instantly loved them. We instantly wanted to tell their story. You know, when I first got this, um, this call from, from Ron Howard and, and the team at Imagine and the, the team at NetGeo, I started reading some Joan Didion because I don't know a lot about Northern California. I'm an East Coast girl. And Joan Didion has this wonderful quote where she says, you have to pick the places you don't walk away from. And mm-hmm. Paradise quickly became a place I will never walk away from. Mm. Well, that's very, that's profound. Yes, Northern California uh, is very unique. Um, you know, Michelle, I'm going to bounce this over here to you. And, and while I know, I mean, both of you clearly know, but I'm still going to kind of ask you to share what was PG&E's role in this and what, and I think well, Michelle, the, uh, for you, you, well, you role, sifting yeah. through that. Mm-hmm. They did not take care of their equipment. They put profit and stockholders and, they didn't take care of their equipment and they, and they doggone well knew that their equipment was old and they knew that, that they were having issues with them. There's, there's 
there's no excusing the business practice. None. Um, their business practices killed people. And, and I don't want to say ruined a town because I, it, it changed a town forever. My 86 year old mother lost everything. She will never live alone again now because of PG&E practices. She lost um, antiques that came over on covered wagons. Uh, she's a different person. She's given up all will to live. She will not live much longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I put the blame on pg business practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad that Joe um, early, who's my friend and also an attorney, I'm glad they're, they're, mm-hmm. getting, they're coming close to settlements and everything, but no amount of money is going to take care of what they did. You, money is not the answer here. Um, Nothing will ever fix it. We, I, it's funny that Ron did the movie because I used to tell people I live in Mayberry, and <laughs> I mean it did have it did have some you know high high poverty levels, and we had a high yeah. ACEs scores for kids, which are traumatic experiences. But we all worked together to to right. to make sure kids were educated and to help break those cycles of poverty. And PG&E took all that away from us. And they took our town and I, I, I can't, I feel bad. I can't say a single freaking good word about them. And I feel bad for that, but I can't. <laughs> well, uh, I'm with you on that one. And, and not that we want to just beat up PG&E, but I think what I've seen uh, a 20 year history up and down this state um, and even where their practices fell through the cracks from their compressor stations to poisoning people, to blowing up San Bruno and parts of Rancho Cucamonga and Northern California paradise, knowing, knowing that they have what 18,000 miles of transmission line ready to fail. And that transmission line up in paradise, what was from 1921 Right. And that's the kicker. They knew. Mm-hmm. They knew. And yet nothing was done. I, I know how deeply that that concerns you. You and I can sit down and have yeah. margaritas over that conversation <laughs> all day long. Um, right. But I think it's an important one to have um, because everyone just thinks, well, you'll be picking on one certain company or PG&E's broken. No, they're not. There's a whole system failure. And for communities that come through this, what they want in the future is that solution, that fix that this never happens to a town again. Right. Uh, I, I, yeah. They, they, I want their, I want their practices to change. They cannot allow this to happen again because this is oh. something that, I mean, I'm not going to let this devastate my life forever because then mm-hmm. they win, mm-hmm. but damn it. They have to change. How do you see yourself in the future? I mean, uh, I work with communities all the time about us getting back to our community, back to our city council, back to our local involvement, because we have a voice. And oftentimes I think we think we don't. And you do. And you're such living proof of that. When you get defined, you have to be a doctor, a lawyer, a scientist or a politician to speak out about these issues. Oh, that's bullshit. No, you don't. And especially when tragedy hits home, you've really shown and through this documentary is shown how you rose through those, those ashes. Do you see yourself in the future being involved uh, with our, our fire issues in California at a legislative level? Have you thought about running for office? 
<laughs> you know, I would endorse her. <laughs> you know what was funny I is I, when Phil died afterwards and I decided to move to Reno um, to be closer to my grandkids and everything. And then it took me about three months before I then bought a piece of property in Paradise because Paradise is I know I didn't tell Sam. That's that. news to me. I'm so excited. Now I know I know. when I come next time. Paradise is my home. I mean, I live in Reno now, but Paradise will always be my home, always. And um, I don't know, a few months ago, I got a call from a couple people in one day saying, would you please apply for town manager? And I'm like, yeah, no, I just bought a house. And I know. <laughs> there sounds there seems to be some politics in that's your a loaded suggestion <laughs> you know, i don't know anything about government and no and actually what i really enjoyed was um as much as you can say enjoyed was speaking before the legislature and really being able to pick up the phone and call gavin newsom or tony thurman and getting involved that way because that's really how you start making things happen and yeah um, and call in the local, you know, the local assemblyman and senator in uh, Paradise or Butte County and the whole Northern California because I just wasn't going to take no for an answer for the sake of the kids. I didn't care about myself really when it came to that point. This right. was to make sure kids got what they needed. But it was kind of fun in a way, kind of oh, I making see. stuff happen. Right. You hear that, Zan? We've we've, we've <laughs> yeah. got some movement happening. Yeah. Well, I have to say, I mean, you know, the we took the film to Sundance Film Festival this past January, and that's where it premiered. And everyone who met Michelle soon after was saying, "How about a career in politics? Love yeah. organizing. I'm, I'm seeing." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. And actually, there are a lot of really incredible. Um, they're incredible people like Michelle who just got things done. And yeah. he was married to one. She was married to a pretty incredible guy who, who's, who you meet in our film. And um, these are people who get things done. They were a huge inspiration, I know, to, to our team. And from your perspective, uh, PG&E's role in this, what is, what is your takeaway on this? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it was infuriating. And I think that some of what's not reported in the press outside of Butte County, where this took place, um, are the many deaths that took place after the fire that had very much to do with the stress, trauma, and loss of the fire. Um, I think there were a handful of suicides. I know there were many older people who just gave up the ghost, really. And then there were mm. people who had stress-related um, deaths, mm. like Michelle's husband. And it, the loss just went on and on. And I don't, I, I don't think that can be quantified. I mean, I don't think anybody right. wants to quantify that. But when you know it firsthand, it's very hard to think about a company making a financial decision that puts at risk the lives, the, the life, the, you know, the place where these people lived and the place that was their own, that put it, you know, at such risk. And it was just so thoughtless. And I, having gotten to know these people, they're really pretty amazing people. I mean, if PG&E knew how amazing these people were, could they have ever mm -hmm. done this? PG&E has had a long standing within their company of such a disconnect from the people, um, the people that drink poison, the people that, uh, you know, trust. And, and, and I've said before, uh, 
my disappointment within the state of California, uh, how we miss these uh, infrastructure failures, which is a, a ginormous problem and is going to have to be part of the solution. But they just have this absolute disconnect from communities and people, which I astounds me because th- they they are providing the services and the power to us. They they would have to understand that people live here where we could poison, burn up, or blow up. Uh, so this has just been, uh, and for me, a, an egregious runaway monopoly of a company. And I really, I would think Michelle will, many of us will, I know I certainly will, a continual follow-up, and it's got to be at a legislative level about what's happening with their infrastructure and how they move forward to ensure the safety of this community. Uh, As we approach fire season, um, uh, Michelle and the community, I'm sure, is uh, back on high alert. These issues are back in their face again and monitoring what's to come. Yeah, actually, I think an interesting thing that I learned um, and, and so did Ron and Liz when we were out there was the head, I mean, again, we're from the East Coast, that California has these things called fire safe councils. So Chris, you know them. Michelle knows mm-hmm. them well. She couldn't believe she met someone who didn't know what a fire safe council was. Um, but a fire safe council is local people who volunteer their time and raise money through very tiny grants to do the things that they can do with a small amount of resources to prevent fires or to minimize the damage of fires in their community. And it is, it's the interesting paradox of California that fire safe councils exist, which are so representative, I think, of the people of paradise that that exists. And then these huge corporations like PG&E, mm. but you also got to think about all those, t- those uh, lumber companies, you know, who, t- who bought all those homesteading parcels and then had Cal fire come put out the fires for them when, when they started on their property. So, you know, it, it's a, it's a very, um, it's very interesting tension. That's going mm-hmm. on in California. Well, it is. And, you know, I think that these communities need a seat at the table in the boardroom with PG&E. And this is what's always been missing. And I'm thinking Michelle's going to get that seat. I, I'm still going <laughs> to I'm still back over here with the public, you know, running for 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 an office. But that's what it takes. We are missing. We the people. And having a seat at that table. Uh, and this is big concern for me uh, and many corporations across the United States of America. I, I want to ask you both, because we know PG&E's transmission lines failed. Climate change. Uh, uh, Zan, I see that you, at the end, I felt were incorporating climate change and the impact that it had Wonder, um, yeah, I mean, that actually came from Ron very much. Um, it mm-hmm. was that was always in our minds, but of course, there's the story of the town, and it we needed to tell a story that was, um, you know, sort of had some parameters to it. The parameters were the borders of the town. Um, but I, I think the, the thing to take away from all of this is that, and I, you know, this is a compliment, I think, actually, to the story of pg e which is that it only took a single spark from their power line, mm-hmm. but it also took climate change and centuries of land use mm-hmm. to lay the tinder. So, and you know, something we still don't seem to really want to address, or companies like pg e uh, don't want to take a look at that. And if nobody's ever been here, I have, um, and Michelle, I know you'll share with this, 
uh, what these Santa Ana wind conditions are like. I just don't think if you're not here, people don't understand that, that, that one spark in those kind of winds, um, the outcome. You know, I grew up in Southern California, so I'm very familiar with Santa Ana winds. A couple things over the last few minutes that you said have really resonated. Um, what a fabulous idea to have community, a people person on the PG&E board to where it's not just all about their business practices to where they could really realize and somebody who would stand up to them and say, you know, whatever, in not so nice terms, listen, you guys. Um, and so far as climate change, I don't, you know, the science is there. I don't know when people are going to change their practices. We, we have to change our practices. And although Paradise was as prepared as you could get, we, we you know, everyone had go bags. They'd been taught that. We'd practice one way, egress out of town or shutting down the roads. But you, you can't prepare for a perfect storm. And that's exactly what happened. And I think that with some climate change issues, like you said, you get those Santa Ana winds. And it's going to just take one, one mm-hmm. spark. And we're not the only community that this is going to happen to over time. There's, this isn't going to stop. Um, but it'd be really nice if someone like PG&E was part of the solution and not part of the problem that added to it. There's enough other um, factors out there that we don't need poor poor business practices and and extremely poor um equipment to to help us along we don't need any help it's already there well you know i think it's really vital that uh, somebody like pg with this community and how you bridge that gap together because it they're in your community they're part of your community and um I think that's critical for them to recognize that it's easier for them to be over here and be the bad guys. It's, I think it's going to be a lot harder for them to realize, Oh, I am vulnerable. I do have a heart and I need to be with my community and bring you and have that seat at the table. I think that's going to be harder for them than then just standing over here expecting to be a bad guy. Well, I think there's a disconnect bef- between their workers and then their management because uh, there's a lot of PG&E people who lost their homes in paradise, who work in paradise. I mean, a lot of our friends work for PG&E and there is a huge disconnect there. And they need to really take a look at their, at their philosophy and their mission statement, and their business practices to try and bridge that. Yeah, it, it will take a lot of work. But it, when when people like you, Michelle, and documentaries come out, Zan, that really put this in the, the public's eye can help, you know, keep them somewhat in check, uh, along with the state. I, I'm, I'm so thrilled that you have that liner access to California's governor and those officials that you need to, to help this happen. This is going to probably sound like a silly question because I already know it because Michelle, uh, I know you, you have been such a leader in this community. What, from both of your perspectives, what brought this town together through this really rising from the ashes? You know, I think it's our history together. Most people, we'd lived there for over 30 years and we were youngins. I mean, this is a multi-generational town and people choose to live in paradise where the hospital and the, and the district were the largest employers. There's no real industry 
it's bedroom community. So you have to kind of commute back up to paradise. And I think it was, you know, the gold nugget days and um, Johnny Appleseed days and 4th of July. It was quintessential America is what it was, where we all knew everybody and we had our problems. Like I said, don't get me wrong. There's high poverty level there. But mm-hmm. I truly think that people chose to be there. They wanted to be there. And that's what brought them together was the sense that um, we're in this together. And, you know, and I say that, but then there was, there was what? There's over 20,000 people who just disappeared. They just mm-hmm. left. They, they, they could not stay. Right. No jobs, no place to live, and they just left. So there's just a very core group right now that's hoping to rebuild. Well, and then that's that's the seed that gets planted. And as that starts, I I think others um, often will follow or come back in. I I find that interesting in communities. It just takes that one person to stand up um, and for the others to go, okay, um, I will I will be involved here, and I will come home. Right. That's true. Uh, Zan, what is your perspective? I I appreciate, you know, you always see what happens on the inside uh, here, but coming in and I like your perspective. uh, What is it you saw in this community and these people that made them rise? Well, community is when you have shared goals and values, when you're all in it together and it, that is what made them rise, that they felt that they were in it together. They, they just felt it. They knew it, even if they weren't all talking to Michelle <laughs> and other inspirational <laughs> folks like that. Um, they just knew it. And, you know, COVID, this pandemic has really taught us a, a kind of a similar lesson because we're mm-hmm. all going through this together and mm-hmm. we know that we all have to do our part and that we're all part of the same global community. And... I couldn't have gotten through the past few months without having learned what I learned from the people at Paradise. Wow. I hope the film inspires others to, to get through what's going to be a tough year for the whole country. That was, that was amazing what you just said. And so on, uh, instead of, you know, feeling, because I think this is what oftentimes people are left with. Again, I'm going to go back to the documentary and, and, and you know, the return to Paradise, uh, that you showed the steps of how to get back to hope. So from both perspectives, Michelle, what is the next step for paradise? What's next? You know, I was, I was there yesterday filming for Nightline and I was so just, I don't even know the word happy, but more, it was more internal. The building that's going on, I Mm. think, the next step is we've taken the step through the school district that with our insurance money, there's, there's not the kids. We don't have the kids that we had before. So we're taking the insurance money and we're building fewer, but state of the art schools to where people will want to come. So we are taking almost build it and they will come. And uh, it's unbelievable. We have a brand new gym going up. We have state of the art science labs going in and we're hoping to draw people to want to make that short drive up the hill and be in this fabulous little community again. And so it, it, the step for paradise is going to be long. Uh, 
but no one's giving up. I mean, PID, which is our water, just worked and worked and worked. We had a core group. Well, you know, Joe Early, core group mm-hmm. that worked and worked and worked for people to get as much justice as you can. I mean, you mm-hmm. can't ever really get justice for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's people who absolutely believe in that town. I think it will take time, but people will want to come back or want to move to this beautiful little town and it will be beautiful again. The trees will regrow and it will be beautiful. It, it will be. And, and the people in it are, are, are beautiful. I, I want to ask you a uh, real quick, Michelle, uh, the, the young boys, well, they're not the teenage boys uh, in the documentary, I, I could sit here and spoil it for everybody, but I'm going to tell you, you've got to go watch rebuilding paradise. That's amazing. My heart swells with joy to see youth and that connection that they had to paradise and the land and the trees. Yeah, it, it, it's quite the adorable little community and the kids love it. Uh, I, I know there's one scene, I don't want to mess it up for people either to where, you know, all the kids would go down to the river and go walk the flumes and everything. And of course they were, um, destroyed by the fire and how that affected the kids because that's what they did on weekends that's their socialization was to go there and then how they said we we will come back these cherry trees will grow again our flumes will will get built back up and they're just like the adults they're not going to leave they may leave for a while Mm. um and not all of them will come back, but some will come back and they will raise their families there. They, they, they were quite inspirational. Zan, you know, your perspective uh, doing documentaries and you made a, a reference to COVID. Um, are, are we, have we moved away from America as we know it, which is paradise and other communities and is COVID? going to take us back to that? Gosh, that's a really good question. You know, I'm going to go back to some stuff. I had some notes I'd, I'd scribbled along the way when I uh, was talking to some folks at Cal OES. Your state has something that most states don't have. You have your own FEMA. You have this incredible organization um, or, or government agency, the Office of Emergency Services under the governor. And they, they do so much for you guys. And they know earthquakes and they know landslides and they know fires. Um, but the head of communications there said to me when I was saying, what, should, what message should we put in this film? You know, what, what will work in the future for people who go through other things like this? And that was before I could have predicted a pandemic. Um, he said, the best thing you can do is to prepare yourself. And mm-hmm. he was saying this also a little bit sort of after, you know, after the disaster that happened, a lot of people were giving money to various organizations. And he said, it's not even about the giving. Sometimes that can be a little bit aimless but it's about putting yourself in a position of resilience so that you can be there for your neighbor so that the burden isn't so great on the government agencies or on the charities or on your community. It's, it's about empowering yourself and building your own resilience. And that is, that's the rebuilding that the people in paradise did and are still doing. They still have a mm-hmm. ways to go, many of them. Well, you know, uh, after all, Superman is not coming and preparedness is a key word. And I don't know if we got comfortable or complacent or we just thought that this agency or that agency would have our back or come in and magically fix us and protect us. And I, I, it's heart wrenching to 
as we talk about paradise, the lesson that they may have learned in that, that they need to be there for themselves and that resiliency and that preparedness. And, and they're showing us that right now. Yeah. And they learned it the first, the first day, the first hour. They knew only they could get themselves out of that fire. And they all drove themselves out of that fire and then picked up the pieces. And that's what we all have to do as Americans right now with COVID. Well, that, yes. And that is what an amazing message to leave. Um, I, I will say, um, you know, I always end with the badass bitches. So when you got two of them right here talking to you for everyone to hear, <laughs> and Michelle and I were talking about the beauty and the power of women. Uh, and I do see 99.99% as I move in and out of communities throughout this country, it is that Michelle, it is that Zan that come together, that become leaders to show a story that rise and there is nothing like the power of women. And when we're together, it's like, oh my heavens, just everyone get out of their way. Because yeah. actually, I'm glad you get said that done. because the women of paradise are absolutely amazing and they're almost all of them badass bitches. And that was where I first looked <laughs> that phrase because someone from paradise called me one and I was so proud. <laughs> oh, you should be. The badass bitches have arrived. <gasps> I, I, I am so thrilled um, that you were shared some time with me today. Uh, I, I tell everyone you need to uh, watch uh, Rebuilding Paradise, directed by Ron Howard and produced by renowned documentarian Zan Parker. It's available and streaming from National Geographic. It is a beautiful, it's tragic, but turns beautiful portrayal of watching this community and Michelle, um, quite the inspiration. I, I will, um, can I do your, um, run for office buttons? <laughs> <laughs> Cause I'm there. Badass go. Um, thank you for being here. And, and, and I said to you uh, earlier, and I, I do want to share today, um, uh, for people listening, uh, you've been through a great loss and you lost your husband and um, what a wonderful man and a great loss. And I send my condolences um, and strength and well wishes to you. Thank you. 